an official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Greetings to those who watch below. After another brief bout of illness, I'm back again and ready to bring a chill to your December. Before today's video starts, I'd like to say thank you to Ghost City Shelton, Lefty Kim, Lisa Watts, Steffi Ray, and a very special thank you and welcome to both Wicked Witch and Jess Black Curtain as the newest members of those who dwell below, a unique membership to the channel that you can check out using the link in the description box. What better way to kick off December than with some true, terrifying, paranormal encounters? My Creepy Final Visit to Our Haunted Family Home by Virulent Peach My great-aunt, who has lived for years in an 1890s Victorian home, which has been in our family for generations, recently was moved to assisted living. The home is falling apart, contaminated, and will likely be condemned and demolished. Shortly before my great-aunt was moved to assisted living, the plumber called to inspect water drainage issues in the downstairs sink, and reported the conditions of the home to the town health inspector, and we were able to negotiate with the town for one final visit to the home to remove family heirlooms and personal belongings, after which the house is likely to be condemned. As I pulled up to the house ready to meet the rest of my family for a final walkthrough, I was filled with sadness. Clearly it was once a beautiful home, and one of the largest on its street, with its gingerbread trim, multiple gables, and large windows framed with old-fashioned drapes. This was the first home my great-grandparents owned after their arrival to the United States, and the one where my grandmother grew up. I hated the thought that it would be demolished. More importantly, I wondered what unforeseen spirits dwell within its walls. Are my ancestors still among us? And what about those even earlier owners? I met my family outside the front of the house, and my grandmother unlocked the front door with a spare key. I stood back, staring up at the house, and saw a curtain of one of the attic windows billowing slightly. Was it a draught, or something else? I grabbed my mother's attention, but the second she looked up, it stopped. As she turned away, I noticed in another attic window, the shadow of what appeared to be a female figure in a white dress pass by, and just disappear into the distance as quickly as she appeared. Knowing the house was completely empty of living people, for the first time in 130 years, creeped me out. The yellow wallpaper in the front hallways was chipped, the floorboards creaked louder than ever, and though there were windows throughout the house, there was an oppressive darkness that no light from outside could penetrate, and an inescapable feeling that we were not alone. Who did I just see in the upstairs window? We split up throughout the house searching for items to keep. I was to search the attic and second floor, my stepdad the basement, and everyone else on the first floor. The electrical wiring in the upper two floors 
had not been modified in years, so I was instructed not to turn on any lights. As such, the upper two floors felt dark and ominous, especially the upstairs hallway. The dark doors on all sides and the wood panelling in that hallway, combined with the lack of natural light, suffocate you as you pass through the hallway, and it feels like you're being stared down by eyes from all corners. In that hallway, now, just as before, I felt as if something would jump out at me from behind any one of the doors, or from behind any corner. I quickly darted into the nearest room. I entered what was once the upstairs dining room, when it was a two-family home, and began going through boxes. I found old photographs of my great-grandparents, cousins, and ancestors from the 1800s. In one box, I found an old key that seemed to go to one of the locks on an old door. Curious as to what it unlocked, I tried the key in multiple doors upstairs, but it just did not fit anything. I searched every room for it. I entered what was the upstairs kitchen, and noticed dishes in the sink that had been left there for forty years, an out-of-commission stove and refrigerator, and an iron sitting on an ironing board. It looked like it was still lived in, but its owners just disappeared. I finally found the lock for the key. It locked the door leading to the narrow back staircase, which opened into the downstairs kitchen. As I put the key in the lock and locked the door, I could hear my mother calling me from what sounded like the front of the house, so I ran back toward the front of the house to find out what she wanted. In the front hallway, I saw the attic door open, and could hear boxes being moved around up there. I assumed that my mum and aunt were upstairs searching through boxes, so I called up the stairs. No answer. I called my aunt's name. No answer. Starting up the winding stairs, still hearing footsteps and boxes being moved, I instantly started sweating, and got scared. I called out to them again. This isn't funny, what do you want? Leaving the attic door open, I darted up the attic stairs into a hallway that was barely six feet to the ceiling, narrow, with white walls and green doorways and trim. At the top of the stairs, the hallway bends right, and there are rooms on all sides packed from ceiling to floor with boxes, old bed frames, box springs, and other assorted items. I'd only been in the attic once or twice, and honestly forgot what it looked like, and this is where it gets creepy. I could just see into the rooms enough to notice that they were not typical attic rooms. They looked like bedrooms. Clearly, another family had lived up there, and the house had once been a three-family home. Right now, however, the place was as abandoned as it could be. Not only was no one up there, but there is no way boxes could have been moved up there without first moving them into the hallway, as the doorway to every room in the attic was completely blocked off by stacked boxes. It was difficult to even see into any of the rooms. Suddenly, I could hear rustling of paper bags from the room at the very end of the hall, and the curtain blowing around. There was absolutely no air conditioning or draught, and I could clearly see that the window was bolted shut. I suddenly felt as if I was being watched from that back room. I could hear a sound emanating from multiple corners in the attic that sounded like coins being dropped, one by one against the wooden floor, and rolling across the floor, followed by the giggling of small children. At this point I'd had enough. I quickly bolted down the stairs, and when I made it to the bottom, smashed right into the closed door. The closed door. The door I knew for a fact I'd left open. I reached for the knob, 
and though I used all my might, I could not open it. The knob turned completely, but the door felt as if it was being pushed on from the other side by someone just slightly stronger than me. Suddenly I could hear soft footsteps making their way down the attic hall, bumping into one of the old wooden doors off its frame left lying in the hallway upstairs. I could hear the click, click, click of heels as they turned the corner, making their way to the top of the stairs. My heart raced, and my palms drenched in sweat as I pounded on the door for someone to let me out. I shouted the name of every person I knew to be in the house, until I got someone's attention. The sound of heels stopped at the top of the stairs, but slowly began to make their way down. I could see a shadow emerging on the white, cracked walls, a silhouette getting larger, but without any defined features, as the entity crept down the stairs, one slow step at a time. I grabbed that doorknob like my life depended on it, and tried breaking it off the door, pushing and shoving until the door finally gave way. I stepped into the hallway, slammed the door shut, and turned to run back downstairs. But as I did, I stepped on what felt like a piece of paper in the upstairs hallway. It was a photograph of the same woman I thought I saw in the attic window, and who I must have heard in the attic. What was she trying to tell me? I ran downstairs in a panic, desperately seeking answers. I demanded to know if any family members were up in the attic trying to play a prank on me. They all insisted they'd been downstairs the entire time, which puzzled me, because I knew for a fact I heard my mother's voice coming from the attic. Just as I started to assume that it was my imagination, I could hear footsteps coming from the floor immediately above me, pacing around across the upstairs kitchen, directly above where I now stood. Everyone could hear it, and I could see the panic in everyone's faces. My stepdad, who does not believe in the paranormal, whispered to us that someone had likely broken into the house and was hiding upstairs, likely having been living there since my great-aunt was taken to assisted living, if not even longer, as she was hearing impaired and never went upstairs. He snuck upstairs on the back staircase, slowly and quietly, with me following behind pepper spray in hand, ready to confront the intruder. I was certain we wouldn't see anyone, and when we got to the top of the stairs, the door, which I knew I shut and locked with the old key, was slightly cracked and slowly opening. Someone was clearly inviting us in. We began to search the entire upstairs of the house, and then the attic, and I felt somewhat more comfortable with a male relative there. There was no one, and nothing that could have made any of the noises on either floor. We began to leave the attic, my stepdad in front and me behind. As I was about halfway down the stairs, I stumbled forward. I distinctly felt hands on my shoulders and something rub against the back of my neck. Whatever it was did not push me, but I nearly fell down the stairs with fright. I began screaming, pushing my stepdad out of the way and running downstairs to the first floor. There was no way I was going back to that attic under any circumstances. My stepdad stayed on the second floor, searching through different rooms. He believed I had imagined the entire thing, and there was nothing to be afraid of. My grandmother was still sweeping downstairs, and trying to make the house look somewhat presentable, likely believing she could persuade the town to spare the house. I showed her the photograph I had found outside the attic door, asking if she recognised the face, 
Surely enough, she recognised her, and her story was truly sad. I came to find out that the woman was my great-grandmother's sister, who had lived in the attic of the house with her three children after her husband passed away. She lived there for a short period of time in the 1940s, out of sight, and rarely came downstairs. Because of her darker complexion, and the belief that her visible presence in the house would call people to question my great-grandmother's race, she was told she could live there, but told to not come down in the presence of guests. One of her children died in the attic, with scarlet fever. Great-grandmother descends from a long line of people, both European and African descent, and unfortunately believed that her light skin and ability to pass as a white woman made her superior to her sister. Until this day, I never knew of the existence of this relative, but her story deeply saddened me. I have come to wonder if every incident in this house was her way of making herself known, and the injustices that happened to her. My stepdad eventually came downstairs, his face pale and flustered. He demanded to know if I had been playing some sort of practical joke on him. He claimed that he would be in one room upstairs, and all of the rooms are connected with multiple doors to each, and he would hear a doorknob turn in another room. When he would look up, he would see a door slowly clicking shut and closing. He would go to that door and open it and look around, and there would be nobody in the room. But suddenly, the door to that room, leading to the one he was just in, would shut behind him on its own. Rinse and repeat, followed by footsteps in other nearby rooms with an unidentifiable source. He also claimed to hear a female voice calling his name, but could not identify which room it was coming from, because every room he would enter, and it would sound like it was coming from somewhere else. We all insisted that we had been downstairs the entire time, and I know we had been. He insisted it was all a big prank, and that we were hiding in different rooms trying to conspire against him. We were not. He also said that out of the corner of his eye, he would see movement, but when he turned, nothing would be there. He saw it as if you would see a person out the corner of your eye, but not really think enough to identify their features. Finally, we had all collected the items we wanted and loaded up the car, and took one last look at the home. It was truly sad to know that this may have been the last time we got to see it. We all got into our respective cars, and as I drove away, I turned back at the house. I cannot be sure of it, but I could swear that from the upstairs attic window in the back, I saw the silhouette of a woman wearing a white dress, hair pinned up, turned sideways, staring out into the backyard. If the house goes down, will she go down with it, or will she finally find peace? Or will she find some other way to find us, and finally convey her message? An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The Man in the Driveway by Lady Monticello 
My son and his beautiful wife were looking for their first home. He wanted as much acreage as he could get. So we found this home that sits so far off the road you can't even see it. The owner had passed away and this house had sat vacant for at least 10 years. It was the right price so we were excited and happy for it. When it was still for sale, my daughter-in-law and I made the trip out there alone to walk around the property and peer into the windows. We were peering in the windows when we realised the sliding door was not locked. I opened the door and yelled hello. We stepped inside and looked around a bit, but the house was big. We got scared and went back outside to look around. We were walking back on the property. The grass started to get tall and we decided to go back. We turned around and both saw a tall man standing in the driveway looking right at us. He faded away very quickly, like one, two, three, and then gone. I asked my daughter-in-law if she saw that. She replied, the man in the driveway? And I said yes. We both decided it was the sunlight playing tricks on our eyes. We walked back up to the house and opened the slider again. My daughter-in-law yelled hello, but this time the hello echoed back at us. Neither of us wanted to step into the house, and we left. They went ahead and bought the big house, with the land my son wanted so badly. Right away, we started cleaning. The house had been a duplex, and they turned it back into a single-family home. It was so full of dirt that they didn't move in right away. One night, everyone was at work, and I was at their home painting alone. I started to hear noises in the basement. I went outside to my car, which was a walk in the pitch black. I got to my car and saw that light on the other side of the house had gone on. I decided not to investigate and left. I often go there to help. On one trip I was mowing down near the road and met the neighbour. I told her some of the stuff we found strange about my son's new home and this lady tells me to check out the front step. She says, flip that white marble step up, it's a tombstone. I didn't believe her, so when I finished mowing down by the road, I headed right up to the house. I looked at the white marble step, and thought she was trying to spook me. It looked like a step to me, and we had been using it as such. I pushed on it. I couldn't budge it. My son came out and asked me what I was doing. I told my son what the neighbour had said. My son is big and strong, and he pulled that heavy white marble step up, and it was a tombstone of a military veteran. It no longer looked like a step at all. It had the name, date and everything on it. Why was it being used as a step? And is this the man that we saw in the driveway? The name on the tombstone is not the name of the previous owner. The tombstone is much older from World War I. We've googled the name and have not been able to find out anything so far. We still have the tombstone there on the front porch. We will probably put it someplace on the property. The house has begun to feel like their home. I'm hoping that the entity we saw in the driveway was saying goodbye. My son is a big German shepherd and he feels safe and comfortable in the home. My beautiful daughter-in-law wants to move already. I don't know if this is a bad sign, but there were snakes everywhere in the yard around the house. One snake slithered right onto my foot. I'm deathly afraid of snakes. I looked down, saw the snake on my open shoe and screamed so loud, it sounded like someone else was screaming to me. I ran. The snake landed between my feet, and we were both going the same direction. 
Never has that happened to me ever, and I live in the country too. The snakes are mostly gone now, but I still wear boots whenever I visit. The Devil's Place by Sparks Wife 2018 If you're a resident of Spartanburg, South Carolina, you know about Oakwood Cemetery, or as the locals in the area call it, Hell's Gate. This beautiful area of resting souls was once a pauper's field according to local history, over a hundred years prior to its current manicured field of beautiful headstones. During the day, it's a lovely green area full of large headstones and a large worn angel. Past the large edges, there's the children's field. In the daylight it's fine, but at night, it's got a different vibe. Other than the amped up security over the past few years, following mainly teens and young adults sneaking in past dusk, and after a grave robbing in the early 2000s, the graveyard hosts its share of spooks and orbs, and rumours of devil worship plague the grounds. In 2013, I was living in Greenville with my fiancé Tyler, and his parents, and his older sister. We often found fun things to do, albeit possibly illegal in the state. Between loitering at the White Horse Walmart and causing chaos, staying hours at the Waffle House, sneaking into movies at Cherrydale, and smoking the devil's lettuce while carefully watching our shed full of music equipment from the thieving hands of local junkies roaming around. We always found something to do. 95% of the time we spent together, we spent at our friend Amy's house. Amy was and still is our best friend. She's housed many people in her home, all with big warm arms wide open. Amy was very laid back, and always into our silly shenanigans. Through her, my fiancé and I made more friends, amazing friends. Friends that came up with the idea of visiting the nearly 200-year-old graveyard one night. Rolling into Amy's one night, we were approached with the idea of paranormal hunting by two buddies, Eric and Molly. Knowing we were big ghost hunters in our home state of Ohio, we tagged along for the nearly hour drive. After stopping for gas, we arrived at the funeral home in front of the graveyard. Molly warned us about watching out for cops and any guards around. After heeding the warning, we walked up the blacktop to the graveyard gates. The first stop was the angel in the beginning of the yard. Months prior to our arrival, Molly and Eric visited and took a photo of the angel. Molly and him compared notes on if there were any changes such as movement or damage. My fiancé and I looked around the grounds while they spoke. I felt very sick to my stomach after about five minutes. Something just felt so wrong. But I shrugged it off to nerves and being on high alert for any cops. Noticing I was really uneasy, Tyler opted to walk with me around the stones, comforting me and rubbing the back of my hand to calm my nerves. It didn't help, but I swallowed my uneasiness and admired how nice the grounds were. After a few minutes, Molly and Eric joined us. After being satisfied that the angel is yet to move, they led us up the blacktop trail to head to the children's section. They say a ton of Satanists sacrifice shit here. They used to meet up every Saturday, Eric told us. My fiancé, being a Satanist himself, quickly blew this off and chalked it up to possibly just being stupid teens with a Levain Satanic Bible and a cat they possibly caught just to torture. My fiancé spoke about how all these kids don't do their research, 
and only follow Hollywood displays on movie screens. Joking about how kids nowadays just think they're rebels by claiming to worship Satan, we walked up to the hedges, nearing the children's plots. The closer we got, it felt like I was getting a massive cramp in my stomach. Again, thinking it must be stress and nerves, I ignored it. I soon got a huge overwhelming feeling that something was behind us. Looking behind a few times, I saw nothing the first few times. After the fourth or fifth turn, I got a glimpse of a small black shadow darting behind a headstone. I gripped Tyler's hand, and he reassured me it was probably just a big bug, or a rabbit or bat, and not to worry about it. Once we went past the hedges, Molly stopped and told us to hush, stating she had seen something. She stayed still, and we all watched to see what in fact spooked Molly. Standing still, gripping Tyler's hand, and watching Eric bob and weave to get a better view of the area in front of us, I suddenly felt sick to my stomach and unable to breathe. That moment, I felt that I heard, in a very low voice right into my ear, a very simple, go. I let go of Tyler's hand, and before he could turn around, I was hauling down the walkway to the car. I didn't want to see or hear whatever it was again, and I was off. The group wasn't too far behind, and opted that we leave noticing how pale and sick I was getting. I didn't speak the entire car ride home, or the rest of the night. Fearing nobody would believe me, I waited until the next day, when Eric inquired what happened. After I explained what happened and what I felt, Eric said he himself had felt and heard something too. Molly and I both saw something on the way to the children's yard. That's why she stopped so quickly. It wasn't a person. It was too dark and misty to be human, Eric explained, telling Tyler and I that later that night he heard noises that he couldn't pinpoint in the house. He was so spooked after the visit to the graveyard, Eric stayed up all night with his gun in his lap. Tyler said he watched me whine and yelp in my sleep all night after coming home and passing out on the bed. We opted not to do a follow-up. With our upcoming honeymoon to Greenville, we've been invited to investigate again, but we've denied the lovely invite. I refuse to step into that cemetery. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. Please make sure to like, share and subscribe to the channel, ensuring that you hit the notification bell as well. Also make sure to check out creepypasta.com, where I'm currently the site manager and curator of all the stories that have been going online. There are some truly terrifying ones being posted. So, until next time, sleep tight. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.